us or something else, but that's just the world we live in. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 11. I'm so glad that you are here, and those Bible studies hopefully will be a blessing to you. Today we're going to talk about being a servant of all, and let's just be honest, how many of us like being served all the time? Now, some of you, you don't like being served. I get it. Like, you're not a pampering type of person. But do I have any dudes in here that still get manis and petties, massages, man spas? Is there anybody here beside me raising my hand? I'm going to be honest. I got a little membership to Elements Massage. I got to get me some. My wife and I take turns. You know, I get patties, and that's partly because I wear chonclas all the time, and my feet get nasty, and y'all make fun of them, so I can't make you happy either way. I take pictures when I'm losing weight or I'm doing stuff, you know, the scale or I'm out and everybody's like, oh, Pat, your feet are nasty, you know? And then I go get these petties or whatever and then you make fun of me. I can't make everybody happy. But I know one person I can make happy right here. And I'm going for this guy. I'm going for this. Somebody raised your hand like, I'm going to try to make you happy. No, you at the wrong church for that. No, no. The one person I can make happy is this guy. Does anybody else like to be pampered? Come on, let's just be honest. Now, maybe your thing is not mani-pedi, but how many like going to a nice restaurant? You like Fogo de Chao. You like those kind of real fancy restaurants. They're just going to wait on you. Man, when I was young, I didn't really think that the money mattered when you went to those places. I really didn't think so. I was like, you know what? The food is just the same, Applebee's, whatever. No, it's not even about that. It's about the service. How many are just tired sometimes of Applebee's service? No, no offense if you like Applebee's and some of these places, Buffalo Wild Wings. I've caught both of them out of my life. I'm so serious. Two different times I had to walk up and go, y'all crazy. You don't even pay attention to us over here. We're done. And that's a pretty big deal for a pastor to do that because I bring a lot of guests to places. So I'm like, y'all done. But man, when I walk into Fogo, when I walk into Texas Day, Brazil, they know how to treat somebody. Have you ever been to one of those places where they know how to treat you? You know, you feel special when you come in there. Uh, the 95th at the Hancock, the 95th floor, food is terrible. I'll just be honest with you. I hate the food. But man, they know how to serve you there as you're getting those views. You see, a lot of us here can relate to wanting to be served. And especially those of you who are in the service industry, you know how bad people like to be served. But what we're going to learn about today is that we are supposed to be the servant of all. We are supposed to be known in this culture not as the worst tippers, not as the most, you know, like on-demand type people. We need to be some easygoing, serving, selfless servants in this culture. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go to the Bible and see how to do it, or as one person said, how to do's it. Whatever way you like it. Do you like it, do it, or to, you want to say do it or do's it? Do's it. Is that the cool thing now? Okay, I'm keeping up. I'm keeping up. Matthew chapter 20. Man, we are flying through this book. I think we'll get done with it by the end of the year. One whole year for a book, that's pretty awesome. Ephesians was smaller than this, and it took us over, I think, 60 weeks to do it. We're going to do this in, in, in probably 55, a little bit less than 60 if anybody's counting. And by the way, they're all online in our app. Isn't that cool? Chapter by chapter by chapter. Okay, so let's go here to chapter 20 and let's start with um, going to Jesus talking about the, uh, his second coming here. I am in Luke chapter 20. How many know that's bad when your pastor's in the wrong book? Okay, let's try Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Okay, we should be starting at verse 
No, no, no. I'm all confused. Verse 17. You had it right. The notes were there. Thank you. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Underline those three things if you can. Uh, Mocked, flogged, and crucified. How many know that's a bad weekend? How many know Jesus is about ready to have a bad weekend? I'm not talking about you getting hung over, doing things you regret, having to go to the clinic at Monday. I'm talking about a real bad weekend, and they do you wrong, but you're doing everything right. Can anybody relate to that? Come on, let's talk to the preacher today. Jesus is going to be all of those things for us. He is going to do that because of us. He's going to be mocked because we mocked his laws in the garden. We followed a stupid snake instead of following him. He's going to get beat because we have been beating and mistreating the things of God. And he is going to die, be crucified, because we have been killing. We have been murdering with our words. We have been destroying humanity. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, death is now upon this earth. Corruption is here. And even if you've never got arrested for your sin, trust me, your sin is enough to send you to hell. And my sin is enough to send me to hell. And let me just say this. Just because your sin is legal, that don't mean it's right. You can be be, right in a culture but still be ratchet in God's eyes. Because God wants you to be righteous, not ratchet. Okay, and so it's legal to kill children, just like it was legal to own slaves, just like it was legal to to put Jews in boxcars and put them to concentration camps, but that never changed the moral code of God. Jesus is going to die for us. Let's never forget that. As we're reading the gospel, you know the end of the story. You know what's going to happen. He's going to get crucified. He's going to raise again. But what's neat about this and separates our book from every other book and our person from every other person. Somebody say, Jesus is my person. What's going to separate Jesus from everybody else is he predicted his own death, how it was going to be, and that they couldn't hold him down, that he was going to come back up from the grave. Has Muhammad done that? Did Buddha do that? Did Krishna do that? Is there anybody in all of world history that's even on the table as a relevant, worthwhile competitor to Jesus in this way? Like y'all say Jesus raised from the dead, but there's somebody over here that we all believe he raised from the dead. There's not even anybody close because we know that death is, is the end of everybody. There's nobody that's defeated death. There may be some people that every now and then disappear. They think they're still alive. In my day, it was Elvis sightings. Now it's Tupac. Oh, Tupac, he's alive. He's over here. Biggie is alive. You know, they're just making up stuff like that. Chances are they're dead, folks. Listen to me. Chances are they're dead. And you're going to die. The one thing about life is that we're all going to die. Jesus tells them, this is the third time he tells them, when it happens, do not freak out. I actually came to do this. And what happens when it goes down? Do the disciples remember the times he's been telling them about this or they freak out? He literally literally tells them, just like I tell my kids, when we go to this store, you will get nothing here. You are just walking with daddy through the aisles, right? But they forget everything once they start walking through those aisles. They freak out. They deny me as their father. 
they deny, they, I'm serious, they turn into a little Peter and deny me and my authority in front of the cashier before the people in the other toy line or in the toy aisle, and they pretend like they can't hear me, that they don't know me, that they forgot all the times I told them how it was going to be when we went to Target. Are you listening, Riveras? Have you been there before? He told them, listen, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to beat me. They're going to betray me. All of a sudden, he's getting beaten and whooped, and Peter's freaking out, cussing. He's saying, I don't even know the man. He's scared. People are running off, some even naked, because they grabbed their clothes and tried to bring them, you know, grab them by the the robe, it says, to bring them in. And the guy uh, just keeps running, and he's naked, and he runs away scared. And the Bible says this was not the way it was supposed to be. But we can relate to knowing what's good and still not doing it, just like my children. What I want us to see here, because we're going to pass through it quickly today, not that it's unimportant, and we're going to save a lot of the crucifixion talk for the part of the story where we actually see it. But I just want to remind us, he's telling us that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And where we need to understand this is, is that God's telling you to pick up your cross and follow him as well. Did Jesus say, pick up your Lamborghini and come follow me? No, earlier in the story, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow me. Did he say, take up your mansion? Take up your $1,000 bonus? Those things are great. You may have those in life. But what he said was, take up your what? Your cross. So why are we surprised when people hate us in this culture? We should not take that as a surprise, like, oh, they don't like me because I was a Christian. Jesus literally told you they're not going to like you because you're a Christian. Some of you, like, have family and friends that want you to be a Christian, like they're pushing you towards it. But now the culture is changing. People are actually going to hold you back from church. In the culture, it used to be like, grandma took me to church, my mom took me to church, now I go to church. That's the way it used to be. Now it's going to be mama's wanting you to stay home because mama's married to another woman, you know, grandma's wiling out, and everyone now is going to say, church is bad. You go to that place, they're going to put up one of my sermon clips because if they haven't done it already somewhere, they're going to do it soon, and they're going to say, this is the church you go to, this pastor said homosexuality is a sin. This guy said that there's a real hell. You go here. We're ashamed of you. We're not bringing you to the, to the family reunion. We're revoking your invitation to the barbecue, y'all. You can't even come to the barbecue anymore. The Bible says they will reject you. They will hate you. So let us not be surprised when that happens. It wouldn't be faith, my friends, if we saw the end from the beginning. How many know that's not faith? That's not faith. It takes zero faith for me to have a million dollars in my hands and say, if you want it, do 10 push-ups. You know, God's not messing with us like that. Some people would want God to do that, like literally put the mansion right there and you make down payments on it with your good works and you get to see you're building your mansion every day. You know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight, as we store treasures in heaven for the things we do on earth. And so it wouldn't be faith if you always saw it. And we're learning here, even Jesus, when he meets that moment of his life, he even weeps and cries and sweats drops of blood because he feels the pressure. The pressure is real, y'all. He didn't go to the cross like sashaying, like the woman from uh, The Sound of Music. Here I am. I'm going to the cross. No, man, they had the beam on his back till he got broke down and couldn't even carry it anymore. Someone else had to carry it. Are you listening? 
Life will do that to you sometimes. Sometimes you will feel like there cannot be another weight on your shoulder, another problem, and then everything else will go wrong. And you will find your chin scraping at the bottom of the sidewalk of life. And then you'll be like, God, how did I end up here? And God says, oftentimes, we're there for the testing of our faith. We could be there from a mistake, but most of the time, we're not there because we've made a mistake and we deserve to be treated this way. We're there because we are being tested in our faith, and through our sufferings, God is making us strong. If our Savior loved us enough to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, shouldn't we go through life trusting him as we go through our problems? Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Life may not be fair. Life may not be fair. But if we're faithful to God, he will be faithful to us. Amen. Okay, so we hear a little bit about the cross. And now James and John start asking Jesus for special favors. Let's go. Oh, excuse me. His mother does. His mother asks for James and John to have a special favor. Let's look at it. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked for a favor. So that's James and John. Those are the sons of Zebedee. The mom said, I got a favor, Jesus. What is it you want? He asked. And I always got to be honest with you. When I have mamas coming to me asking for favors, I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be tough because mamas always want to pull those heartstrings, you know. I'm going to try not to look at this side of the room because there's some mamas sitting right over there. But I know, even though Iris has never pulled her mama card, I just know if Iris ever came to ask for a mama favor, it would be hard to tell her no. Does anybody have any good mamas in their life? How many know mamas do all kinds of things for you? So if mama's asking you for a favor, that's a big deal. Mama's fed you. Mama's clothed you. And we know with Jesus, he was hungry at times. So probably these mothers were cooking and serving and doing all kinds of nice things for them, letting, them stay, letting him stay at the house with the boys, the disciples. And, you know, those would be some fun sleepovers, get a bunch of dudes together. You know how that can be. And so the mothers are putting up with the disciples, letting them stay in these homes as they're kind of traveling from city to city. And, and the mother says, Jesus, I got a favor to ask you. And he goes, what is it? What do you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I'm not asking too much, Jesus. I'm not asking too much. Just when you come to rule the world, Jesus, can my two sons sit on both of your sides? That's all I'm asking. I love her tenacity. There's a lot about this that we could be bothered by, and the disciples do get bothered, and we'll hit on that in just a moment. But there's also a lot that we can get from this request just right here. Number one, she really believed in a literal king coming to earth, ruling and reigning. She didn't think everything was going to be a pie in the sky. You see, friends, we weren't meant to be disembodied spirits. Heaven is just a waiting place for us to get back our bodies and rule and reign with Christ. She believed in that reality so much that she said, when we start ruling and reigning with you, can my boys be closest? That's the first thing that I see is she believed in the reality of the kingdom. The second thing that we can learn from her is that she interceded, get this, to Jesus on behalf of her children. The request might be a little bit greedy. The request might be a little bit off, but she had the right idea. I go to Jesus with things about my kids. I want my kids to be king's kids. I want my kids to be blessed. Jesus, I want you to be close to my kids. That would have been awesome. She would have stopped right there. 
But then she went to the thrones on the side of Jesus. She went too far. But we can learn from this simple mother's request that she believed in a literal kingdom of God coming, and she prayed and believed that Jesus could do good things in her children's life, and we should pray for our children, parents. Now, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, verse 22, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them gives us the idea that maybe James and John had something to do with the mama asking. Maybe they put the mama up to it. Ask for him. Ask, ask us for him. We don't know. Or it, it, like it could have been that way where the boys are coming up with the idea. Or she said, boys, come with me. I'm going to ask Jesus something. You know, so she kind of brings along her two boys and says, Jesus, I, you know, I, I got something I want you to do. Either way, the Bible says now he's speaking to them. So it's mom and two brothers, uh, her two sons. Are you listening? Come on. Somebody say, I'm there. So she's going to get something that she needs to hear along with all the rest. You uh, don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And that's going to be the cup of suffering. That's when, uh, you know, Jesus, when he's in the, the mountain of Gethsemane praying, he's saying, if there's another way, can you take this cup from me? This is not the cup of communion, blessed fellowship. This is not the, cu the cup of celebration. This is the cup of suffering. And so he's saying now, you don't know what you're asking because if they're going to get a seat around me, they're going to have to drink from the same cup I drink from. He says, can they drink from the cup I'm about ready to drink? And this is where I love these two brothers. They had the nickname Sons of Thunder because one time when they weren't listening, a village or a town wasn't listening to Jesus, uh, they asked Jesus if he could uh, start that hellfire stuff, judgment, Armageddon stuff a little bit early, and uh, could they be the ones that called it down? And uh, Jesus, you know, he might have chuckled a little bit, but Jesus said, no, 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 we're not doing that yet. We're not calling down fire just because they rejected us. You know, keep praying for them. But that's what they were known as, these zealous men. And I love their answer because they immediately respond, yes, we can. Jesus, we're willing to drink that drink. And uh, would, you would you refresh this? Because I put a link up there. Refresh the whole notes, and then I want you to click on where it says, can we drink what you drink? I want you to see how all the disciples ended up ending their lives, how their lives ended, rather. You can check it out on your notes as well, but just go ahead and click on it. If you click on it, the link will open up. Every one of the disciples except John died a martyr's death, and they tried to kill John, but God kept him alive supernaturally. Church history tells us that he died via old age, but they at first tried to boil him alive, and when they couldn't boil him alive, they thought that he had power and that there was something special on his life. So then they exiled him to live on an island all by himself. And we believe that was for the, the purpose of God giving him the revelation because that's where he got it. Go ahead. Keep scrolling down until you get to the first disciple. We got free ads coming up on Sunday here. Go check them out, right? Sorry about all that. But I just want you guys to see it right here. Go to Andrew. Andrew's the bro brother of Peter. Went to the land of the man-eaters. How many would like to do that? what is now the Soviet Union. So I guess there was some crazy white folk eating people out there because uh, that's what I think of, like the Russians, the Russians. Uh, so the Viking kind of crazy folks, they would eat people, whatever that means, but I'm going to take it as word right here. Christianity.com couldn't go wrong, right? Who knows? I'm half kidding there. 
It says, Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and in Greece, where it is said he was crucified. That's what happened to one of our disciples. Keep going. Remember Doubting Thomas? Downing Thomas went to the area east of Syria. Tradition has him going as far as India, where the ancient Morathama Christians revere him as their founder. They claim he died where they, uh, when he was pierced through with spears of four soldiers. Keep going. Philip went to Carthage, North Africa. And let me just help everybody here who thinks Christianity is a white man's religion. If you ever hear that, you have met a stupid person, Okay. Is, you know, first of all, is the Middle East in the year 2000 known for white people? No. Okay. Can you, can you live in Egypt and remain white for very long? They were, they were in Egypt for quite a long time. Are you listening to me? Okay. So whatever they were, we know they were not blonde hair, blue eyes. Don't let the Roman Catholics get you to take a licking from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Just tell them, I'm not Roman Catholic, Jack. My Jesus is not white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. My Mary doesn't look like, you know, uh, whatever her name is, Britney Spears. That's not how I picture Mary, okay? And when we think about them, you know, how close is Africa to the Middle East? It's, it's next door. And, and the people of the, the Jewish faith were African in descent. Uh, Moses married an Ethiopian. I don't know about you, but I don't know too many white Ethiopians. Are you listening to me? Y'all getting quiet now. It's okay. I can take it. I can take it. Like, white boy going to get everybody mad at him. I've been, you've all been mad at me before. I can still take it. Listen, Northern Africa. Do you get that? That's one of the first places we went to. As a matter of fact, one of the strongest Christian congregations in ancient history is in Africa, northern Africa, in Egypt, in uh, uh, Ethiopia, the Coptics there, like I said, in Egypt and in different parts. So anyways, he goes there, and then what happens to him? He's arrested and cruelly put to death. We don't have time to go through them all, but scroll down till you see uh, James, the brother right there the brother of John, the son of Alphaeus. He is one of at least three James referred to in the New Testament. Oh, excuse me. Is that the right James? Go down to another James. I think there's going to be another James. That's the only James? Okay, so he's the son of Alphaeus, and he's the brother of John. There we go. Because there's three James. Sometimes I get them confused. There is some confusion as to which James it is. So I guess I'm not the only one confused. I feel okay. Thanks, Christianity.com. But this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and clubbed to death. Does that sound like fun? No. Now go to John, who we won't get confused with him. He's the only John there. Now listen to the story about this. I gave it to you in, in, in general, but let's read it here. He's one of the only ones to have died of a natural cause that we know of. He was the leader of the church of Ephesus. He took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, during Domitian's... Domitian's... Domitian, thank you, persecution in the mid-90s, he was exiled to the island of Pathmos. And it says here that uh, he was boiled alive in oil at Rome, but was left unharmed. Can, can somebody say amen for that? Let's go back to our notes, please. He, he says to them, can you drink the cup I'm about ready to drink? And uh, verse 22, they say, yes, we can. And they ended up doing that. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right 
right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, guys, there's no kingdom coming. There's no thrones. There's no rulership. Just get your mind off of it. You're all going to be naked baby angels like Cupid shooting arrows of love at everybody. No, he doesn't deny it at all. He's like, you guys got a a legitimate request here. There is going to be my kingdom coming. You and others will be ruling with me. But who's on this side and that side? That's not up to me. That's up to my father. Now look at verse 24. Everybody say, haters. Look at verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the other two brothers. Now why were they upset? Were they upset, A, because the brothers asked too much and went too far, or B, because they didn't think of it first? Come on, let's be honest. What are they upset about mostly in our day and age? B, You know, my kids get mad all the time when one of them comes and asks for a cookie and the other one doesn't get it. And they go, why'd you give it to that one? I'm like, because that one asked. That one came and asked me for a cookie. This one gets a cookie. I'm done giving out cookies now. I'm going somewhere else. Come on. You see, they probably were more mad like, man, why don't we think about that? Man, we should be asking Jesus these kinds of things. We should have said, like, man, can we be on your side? Can we rule over this part of the world, etc.? That's how I read the story. If you don't see it like that, then just take it for what it is. They were upset with the two brothers. Now Jesus calls them over to himself, and he gives us the text for today's message. The text is very simple. He called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. How many know power-hungry people in your life? How many have ever worked for a manager, power-hungry? It's it's usually the middle manager. Sometimes you'll meet a a power-tripping boss and owner, but most of the time it's the manager. Just got too much authority for their own good. You know, oftentimes I love our police officers, but it's the rookies, right? It's the new guys on the job. It's the, in the military, the new sergeant that just wants to show off a little bit. It's the new pastor. <laughs> Gotta laugh at myself. Y'all don't have to call me Pastor Joe. 42 years old, gray hair, over 20 years of ministry. I have never said to any one of you, you have to call me Pastor Joe. 21-year-old Pastor Joe, on the other hand, had to have everybody call him Pastor Joe because I was a new pastor. Hey, I'm Pastor Joe. If you, no, no, it's not Joe. It's Pastor Joe. I earned this. My two-year degree, I earned this. You will call me Pastor Joe or you will receive a rebuking. And, and God was merciful as I acted like a Gentile, as I acted in, 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 a, in the sense there is Gentile means you don't have the God of Israel. As I act godless in my authority, God had mercy on me. And we're still kind of dealing with that every now and then. A new deacon will come around. What's going on here, boys? Looking at you vacuuming that carpet. I think you missed a spot over there. You know, sometimes the new deacons, they get a little bit power hungry. You know, they got their suspenders on. All of a sudden, they adopt a southern accent. They could be Mexican, Cuban. It doesn't matter. Just they start talking like this. You miss a spot over there, boy. There it is. Power hungry people are not fun to be around. Jesus is being very honest here. And he's saying, guys, I know you want to rule with me, but don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles that you hate so much. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes when we throw off one oppressor and a group throws off these group of people and says they're the oppressors, sometimes the next group, those people are oppressors themselves? 
Have you ever noticed that? I'm just being honest with you. I know right now everything's not right, and most of it's my fault because I'm white. I get that. But I have never had to make it right so many times, and people still don't get over it. Like I'm downtown right now, and everybody just wants to take it out on me. Like they think I'm wearing a red Trump hat. Like they just want to yell at me downtown. I have people talking to me about African-American history, and I love it because I've studied African-American. I know more more than most of these people talking to me. I used to pastor in an all-African-American community. My first pastors were black from the South getting served out of the side of buildings. Are you listening to me? But if I have to explain to them one more time that I was not here, Jack... I wasn't here. I, my family never owned Kutakinte, and I am in the struggle with you. Can we now get to the gospel? Are you listening to me? And, and the border, I know some of the Mexicanos here want to say, man, the border, I didn't cross the border. The border crossed me. But listen to me. Listen to me, y'all. At some point, you make a border, and you got to live by it whether you like it or not. If you don't like borders, let your neighbor sleep in your house tonight. There's about 100 homeless people under the Wacker Bridge that want to experiment on your border called a door. So we just need to be nice to each other, at least in our disagreements. And so whatever, I'm just telling you, man, I I know I'm not going to get a lot of sympathy, but I get oppressed for being a white preacher with concern. (laughs) Nobody believing it now. We're all leaving, all Latinos. I'll come back here and be like three white people. Like, I got you, pastor. We are oppressed. No, but listen to me. Listen to me. I'm talking, listen to the context. Listen to them chop it up and make me look real stupid. I'm talking the context when I'm preaching the gospel. I get oppressed for being a Christian. I get oppressed for being white. I get oppressed for being male. I get oppressed for being straight. I am sorry, y'all, but this is stuff I had nothing to do with. I get Europeans flicking me off. I get oppressed because I'm an American. And I'm like, you are in my country, Jack. And you all upset with us. You know, come on now, Sweden, whatever place you're from, respect this land before we let you get taken over by Russia again or something. Are you listening? Come on, can I be real with you? Man, let's just be real. But how many know? Listen, how many know that whatever we call it, reverse racism, reverse oppression, they can be rude too, man. How many know people can fight for a cause and be mean in the process? That's all I'm trying to say. And guess what? Jesus is saying, you boys, you guys, you women, you can't act like that. Just because my kingdom is now coming and you're going to be rulers, that doesn't mean you start doing it now. And I'll start with my occupation. How do most pastors want to be treated as if the kingdom is now and they're in a throne now and, and everything has to be done for the pastors and the leaders and they're so anointed, etc. How is it like on your job? What, where, where are the inappropriate systems that keep people oppressed and build up false uh, leadership? Listen, I respect successful people, but they're not my God. I don't stutter when I get around millionaires. Don't stutter when you get around your boss. Tell them, I need Sundays off. I need to go to work uh, for Jesus like I work for you. You know what I'm saying? Y'all need to get out from underneath any oppression you can, respectfully so, right? Peaceful, passive and peaceful resistance. But we need to be different kind of leaders. I want to lead by my example of servanthood here, and I hope you've seen it. Look at what he says. He says, man, you know how these Gentiles lord it over you? You know how a culture lords it over you. You know how you don't like it when the government overlords you. 
Don't you now become the opposite, and and resistance to that becomes just like that. Look at verse 26. Not so with you. Look at your neighbor and say, this is not going to be your problem. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, you are going to be humble. Come on, this will not be your problem, Mildred. You're not going to take it out on all your oppressors and start treating them bad. That's why if you ever look at the, like the movie Hotel Rwanda, you know, I think it was the Hootsies and the Tootsies. Make sure I'm saying that name right, the Hootsies and the Tootsies. Man, like one gets in power, oppresses the other one. The other one gets in power, oppresses the other one. It was the same thing like in the Dark Ages. You know, France ruled this land and oppressed everybody. Then, then the England would take over, oppress everybody. And then they would fight for places like Ireland. And then all oppressing each other. Two wrongs don't make a right. Not so with you. We will be different, amen? He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And we've talked about the difference between servants and slaves. Servants are like employees. Slaves are either from war or they owe a debt. And they can't leave when they want. Servants can. Both of those are terms that we are used, uh, that are used in the church. I am your servant. I can come and go as I please, but I am a slave to God to serve and to love you. I can't come and go from that. Do you get that? I am a servant here. Like I can go home tonight. Like I don't have to mow your lawn or whatever, you know, rake your leaves, but I, I can't. I am your slave when it comes to loving you. I have no choice but to love you and to serve you. But I may have a choice in how I operate in that servanthood. So I'm going to be a servant of all in a certain capacity, and I'm going to be a slave of all in a certain capacity. He says, not so among you, but whoever wants to become great. How many want to be great in the kingdom? Hallelujah. You must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for how many? For many. If you notice, if you take the context from where we started in 17, it's like a Holy Ghost sandwich. In 17, he talks about the cross. The moms ask about who can sit next to Jesus, and then he ends with the cross. The two buns are the cross, and the meat in between is what kind of leader are you going to be? Are you going to be a servant kind of leader, or are you going to be an oppressive kind of leader? Let me give you a couple examples about this. My dad worked in the financial industry as a financial planner, made a lot of moves, worked with a lot of movers and shakers, and he said, I see millionaires all the time who are expanding, you know, mostly blue collar, expanding their businesses, started off small, worked hard, from all different backgrounds. He said, I see them come into my office just wearing penny loafers, shorts, you know, nice, nice khakis, whatever. He says, but I go to church and I see people that I know are struggling paying their bills coming in $200 Stacy Adams, coming in suits and cars I know they can't even afford when I got millionaires parking an 84 Toyota in my parking lot. He said, then the other weird thing that I notice about church is that they, you know, that's putting on a show. He said, then I notice we give the guy who's normally a janitor, nothing wrong with being a janitor, uh, you know, on his job. We put him to be the janitor in the church, and now he walks around with his chest puffed out. You know, the person that now volunteers in the church doing the same thing they do in the world, whether it's driving a bus, now they start walking around with authority. Maybe they get asked to be an usher or something, and they're a waiter at their job, and so they're going to usher here or something. And they start walking around with ungodly authority, 
And my dad said, we got it twisted. Instead of coming to the church and serving, we're coming putting on a show. Instead of having an attitude of humility, we're looking at this place as a place for everybody to look at us, look at me, here I am, serve me now. I've got something to be proud of. Instead of showing that the greatest among us are really the servants. That's why when my dad was driving the bus, you wouldn't have known him from the guy who did bus driving for a living that was volunteering because it was convenient to my dad humbling himself saying, I'll do that even though I own my own business. Do you understand? Because he said, I'm, I'm not too high up in the world that I can't come down here and serve. I remember my dad, he always used to like to have Cadillacs. Now he drives foreign cars. I don't know what happened in his retirement. Maybe because he lives in Florida, he wants to fit in down there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just all these little, like, uh, you know, these, these uh, cars that get good gas mileage. You know, he's older. But he would drive these big Cadillacs, man, the Sedan, DeVilles, and all that. And I remember in Bible college, one time I came home, and I'm like, Dad, where's the caddy? He's like, oh, I lent it to so-and-so in the church. He had a job interview. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would lend out your caddy to a brother or sister in the church? See, most of you wouldn't even lend them your bus card. Come on, somebody. And I learned generosity from my dad because a lot of you guys are like, oh, it's easy for the rich to give because they have so much. No, it's, it's just as hard for the rich to give as it is for the poor to give because whenever you give something that costs something for you, you feel the pinch. That's why real giving is not giving those shoes that you don't wear anymore or giving away those shoes you don't wear anymore. No, real giving is taking off those Nikes you got on today, giving them to your brother. That, that's when you feel like I'm really giving now. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, you need a ride to work, George. Okay, here's a bus card. It's another thing. Here's the keys to the Sedan DeVille. God is looking at our hearts and how we're treating each other. And what Jesus is saying, I left everything for you. Jesus left everything. So what's our excuse? You know, sometimes we, we hear about these celebrities serving Jesus and we're just like, oh, my goodness. You're just so amazing. And we make them out to be idols, you know. And I, and I say this with, with all sincerity. I'm happy that Kanye West is having church. But son, I've been doing it for 20 years. You need to sit down and learn more before you keep talking. You, you understand what I'm saying? Just because you can sing some gospel songs and you fill up one of our parks out here, that don't mean nothing, Jack. Do you know the Bible? All right, Justin Bieber, good thing your mom was a Christian, and now after wiling out, you want to be a Christian too. Great. But you better be humble enough to sit here like everybody else because if we don't hand you the mic, why are we handing this dude the mic? I just feel like we just, oh, they're a celebrity. They get to skip steps. They don't have to be serve, uh, servants. No. I don't know their life. Listen to me. I don't know if they serve, but I'm just saying I want to see Kanye serve. If you have to be a greeter here, why can't Kanye be a greeter here? What, what, what's the difference with that? What, you, you more of a sinner? You got to pay off your debts in some works-based salvation? Man, if we were working off uh, our debts, you know Kanye would have to work a lot more in the kingdom. But thankfully, we're not working off our debts. We're working out of gratitude. We don't work to get saved. We don't serve to be saved. We serve because we're saved. And so I look at this mindset, and I've never gotten it because, listen to me, friends, I don't know about you, but I know what God saved me from. When I got saved as an 18-year-old kid, I was a pot smoker, drug dealer, a menace to society. That's my story. And when I gave my heart to Jesus, I remember one of the first things that I had to do was give back. 
It just had to happen. So I asked the church that I had see, I had saw feed the needy, are y'all still doing that, going out to the community? They said, no, we only do it on certain occasions. I said, well, how did you do that? Because I want to do it now. Listen, I didn't wait for a program to start. I didn't wait to ask 10 pastors for permission because I knew it was already in the Bible to go do a good work. Are you listening to me? That's why here, everything in the Bible, you have our permission. Go do it. We may not have the ministry yet that you want to start, but I'm giving you permission to go do everything in the Bible. Well, what about the budget? What about this? You know what I did? I worked extra hours, went to that food bank, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I would give them $1. They would give me 10 pounds of food. I would give them $100. How many pounds of food would I fill my Camry with? A 1,000 pounds. $100 times 10 is 1,000 pounds of food. And I will tell you, man, I was so naive at the beginning that because I live so out in the suburbs and I had forgot hanging around uh, some of my friends in the hood because I used to be real scared of the hood, that when I started doing the groceries, I started like kind of in the urban areas of my town, not the places where they were most needy. So I was knocking on the door and they're like, hey, do we work? We have money. We're actually good. I did that for about five times. And then I just said to somebody, I'm like, where could I give these groceries to? And they're like, you need to go over here to the Eden Projects. That's where you need to go. Go over there to the Jecks. And I'm not saying everybody in the Jecks needs food either, but when I went to the Jecks, I found people. Are you all listening to me? And I haven't left the Jecks yet. I'm still in the hood. We're still adopting blocks on the west side. Are you listening to me? Lawndale community. We'll be there, what, this Saturday? Where's, where's uh, Sue Ellen at? We're going to be at the Projects this Saturday? When are we going to Ohio Park? What's Saturday? There we go. We'll be there October 3rd. Not quite the jex, but close enough. And here's what I began to notice when I went out there is that they didn't care about my skin color. They would, you know, call me little white boy. You know, everybody has nicknames, right? Even I notice in, in, in every one of y'all cultures, you guys make nicknames. Like Red from the Kalio Projects. What do you think Red looks like from the Kalio Projects? Red. Are y'all listening to me? His name was Red. Why y'all getting quiet? What do you think they're going to call me when I come? white boy or Chico. I remember standing right out here and I was witnessing to a Puerto Rican woman. She got mad at me at some point in the gospel. She said, white boy, this is our hood. You don't even belong here. I said, you better tell Jesus that because Jesus put me here. Don't let skin color stop you. Don't let race stop you. Don't let culture stop you. Don't let food uh, economics stop you. So I would take that money and give out that food. And I started realizing there's a language that we all speak and it's love. And here's one of the ways you know somebody loves you is when they give you something, when they give you your t their time, when they give you their resources. Those people knew that I loved them. And so from there, I began to work in the projects of New Orleans. And when we came to start this church to the west side, and we haven't left the west side after all these years, and still to this day, I find myself serving some of the people that no one wants to serve. When we started witnessing on Friday and Saturday nights, where do we go? Belmont and Clark. Why? Because they thought we hated them. The Christians that believe, you know, homosexuality is a sin, they thought that equaled we hate you. This is how they put it in their mind. Christian says I'm a sinner. Joe says, and Joe's a Christian, therefore Joe hates me. No, no, no. Listen to how it works, people. Joe's a Christian, and Christians believe in sin. If you are sinning, Joe thinks you're a sinner. But guess what Joe does with sinners? Joe loves sinners. Because what did my God do with sinners? Loved them. Are you all listening to me? 
Y'all quiet in the first service. Did y'all drink your coffee this morning? Come on, get some shots of espresso around here. I love sinners. I'm not going to stop saying that you're a sinner because that's going to help you change. If I was a trainer, am I going to look at an obese person and go, you skinny thing, you? Come on, somebody. Am I going to look at an obese person and go, you skinny? Look at you skinny mini. Let's get you in that speedo, son. You look so good. You could be an Amber Crombie model or one of those real skinny models for the girls' clothing lines. No, I'm going to give them the hard facts. I love watching the shows like Biggest Loser uh, back in the day because what's the first thing they do? Put your big boy self and big girl self right up on that scale. We're going to find out who you are. And that's what we're going to do with the word when we talk to sinners. But listen, that never means we stop serving them. I serve you in your sin. I serve you not to keep sinning, but I serve you to show you the master that served us while we were all sinners. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. So what's stopping you from serving a community different than you? Maybe you're upset with the Trump supporters. Go serve them. Maybe you're upset with the immigration people. Go serve them. There were some huge protests, Jared was telling me, going on downtown. Go serve them. Serve people you disagree with. Serve people that don't look like you. Serve them. And when, while we were serving the Belmont and Clark community, many people would say, I may not accept your gospel yet. I may not accept the story yet, but I accept that you love me. I know you love me. I remember I met another gangbanger on this corner, uh, and, and he had tattoos all over his face. He looked like totally the kind of person I would be scared of, okay? And I witnessed him. How do you all get scared sometimes when you see people? Like, you know, maybe like those MS, what do they call it, MS 16 or 13? Why not 16? Why not 18? 13? Does anybody know the reason why they're 13? Okay, anyways, MS 13, tattoos all over his face. You know what he did? He listened to me. He paid me more respect than most drunk college students do. Some of the people that yell at me the most look exactly like me. When I am there, when I am preaching on Chicago Avenue by Rush, the two different times I've had people come up at me, one was totally drunk, so I'm not going to count that against them, but one was a guy that just wanted to fight me from moment get-go. Total white guy, looked like me. We probably would be at the same bar hanging out if I wasn't saved. Are you listening to me? And let me tell you this. The people who look like you ain't for you. People who are going to be for you are people who are here like you, who look like you here. Are you getting this? So if you're just judging people by their exterior, you don't know who you're, ex who you're excluding from your life. Some of the people that look the most different from me, speak different languages than me, have this right here in their heart. Have Jesus. So anyways, I'm out there serving people, and I don't let them discourage me. I keep serving no matter what they, want, uh, what they think about me. And here's what I notice over time as we've been seeing the same people because some of them hanging out there. You know what they're saying? Man, these crazy, these, these crazy Christians came out here a couple weeks ago. Man, I didn't really know what they were about, but now I hear them, and I've been getting to know them, and, man, I know they love us. I know they love us. We may not agree with them, but we know they love us because they sit and talk to us. Man, I, I just let me tell you this story real quick. I was out preaching. We're right by Moody 
the Bible college there, and sometimes these Moody students don't know how to use their authority as, as being Bible college students. They think they know everything. You know, they're going to point out the wrong. Well, one time I had a group of Moody students stop while I was talking to this gentleman, and he was actually African-American, so I'm going to paint the whole picture for you. Here's a white guy talking to an African-American, and predominantly all white you know, like middle class kids stop right here and they're listening. And while me and this gentleman are going back and forth, we're kind of arguing. And then I get to the point where it's closing down and I go, oh, and, and you guys, you guys are from Moody, right? And, uh, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah. So you guys are on the home team. You guys are Christians like us. And as God is my witness, they kind of were like, oh no, no, we're not doing what you're doing. Like they were mocking me. They thought that I was some crazy street preacher or something. It actually embarrassed me that I had mentioned them while preaching to a sinner because now it made us all look bad. So I, I now diverted to them. And I'm like, hold on, what, what, why are you guys saying we're not on the same team? I love Moody. You guys are Christians. We have Moody graduates here. We have Moody students come here. What's going on? And they're like, oh, well, well we just don't do it like you. We don't do it like you. And I said, well, come to the mic and tell me how I should do it because I'm just going to blast them now in Jesus' name, give them the fivefold ministry of grace. And uh, so I'm just going to give them some holy words to think about. So I'm like, you get up on this mic right now. I got time to rebuke some Moody students. So they come on there, start talking nonsense. I'm rebuking them and listen to me. The African-American sinner gentleman that I was talking to grabs the mic from the prideful, cocky, white boy, middle class, uh, y- uh, you know, young whippersnapper and goes, you don't even know what they were doing. You weren't here for the whole conversation. These people come out and talk to us. They love us. I had the sinners defending me over these guys. So I'm telling you right now, I'm not looking to serve you because you look like me. See, some of you have come from an oppressed background. That's real, and you're just staying with your people now. Some of you all went to school like my, like my wife did. You went to a place like Taft, and all the Filipinos were over here with their little cars and putting all their mufflers, and then all the Polish people were over here sitting at their lunch table. Are you guys with me? Come on. Some of you all went to Lane Tech, and then all the preppy kids were over here, and all the jocks were over here. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm looking for a church that wants to do this. White, black, pink, purple, Asian, Uh, you, you, you come from America, come from another country. Let me ask you this. Is the Son of Man your role model? Is Jesus your role model? Do you want to serve like how he served? Do you want to lay down your life like how he laid down his life? Then you're my people. You're my people. Let's go out into this culture and change the world. And then Jesus shows it in closing. Band, would you come, please? As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them and says, what do you want me to do for you? How many knows How many know Jesus already knows what you need? Why is he asking you, what do you want? Because it's up to you to ask. I got one amen. Are you all just off today? Come on, man. God already knows what you want. Why is he asking what you want? Because he wants to know, are you going to humble yourself and ask? That's why we pray. Otherwise, God could just look at us every day, kind of like how we look at a pet. Okay, they need some water in their bowl. They need some food. Okay, Ricky, he needs some help parenting. God doesn't look at us like fish in a tank. Oh, I, 
I just see what they need. Let me put some food in there. No, God is like a father waiting for us to ask. Ask me. And sometimes we don't have what God wants for us because we're not willing to ask for it. The book of James says, you have not because you ask not. When was the last time you asked for opportunities to serve? When was the last time you asked for a miracle? When was the last time you asked for God to do something in your family? He said, what do you want? They said, Lord. Notice they call him Lord. That's, that's how we are saved. They confessed who he was. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was Lord. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now, I know most of us want to stop the story right there and be like, I'm blind, Jesus. I need to see. Jesus, I'm hurting. I need a miracle. Jesus, I'm broke. I need an an extra income, another job. But let me ask you something. How many of you have already received some of the miracles that I just mentioned? How many of you have been busted and disgusted, but now God has given you joy? You started off heartbroken in your family, but now God's restoring the family. Let me flip the script on you here with this message. How about we stop seeing ourselves as the blind one always reaching out to Jesus, but now being like Jesus reaching out to the blind ones? What if we now start walking in this world helping those who are blind to see? Like one man from the, uh, the African-American community said, I'm going to start serving the KKK. He, in a heart of love, said, I'm going to start spending time with these guys because there's no way that they can be intelligent about all this they do and be missing that we're all really the same race. We literally do blood transfusions with each other. We literally share organs with each other when you have a, a dead person. You know, it don't matter what culture they were. We are all the same. And he said, I'm going to spend time with them. I think the African-American, uh, that, that gentleman's story is he brought, what, is it 20 people out of the Ku Klux Klan. Look it up. I want the actual number, Jared. Man befriended the Ku Klux Klan. How many of them left? You see, because we all know the Ku Klux Klan, they're stupid and they're going to hell. We get it. But who loves a Ku Klux Klan person enough to go to heaven? Who wants to see him go to heaven? We know gangbanging is dumb. We know that all of that's going to lead to hell, but who's going to love them? We know the gay community has been deceived. We know that that's abominable to God. Yeah, we know that, but who's going to love them? Because you can look at me all day long as a preacher and say, oh, he says this and he says that. But it's another thing when you see me love you. It's another thing when you see me serve you. When I would go out to Belmont and Clark giving them out hot chocolate and bottles of water and the summer hot chocolate in, in the, uh, the nighttime. Why would I do that? I just wanted to give it to you so you would stop and I could tell you that you're going to hell. Man, listen, we're all going to hell without Jesus. I'm loving the gay community. I'm loving the cultures that look different than me. I'm loving the different ages. I feel like my days of working with teenagers aren't even close to over yet. A lot of pastors, they get my age, and they say, well, I'm done with teenagers. Some of y'all get into that phase. You're like, man, I'm done with teenagers. Man, give that wisdom to the teens. Reach back out to those crazy wild college and high school students. How many did you get out, Jared? 200. Give the Lord a hand clap for that. I'm saying 20. Let's put a zero on that. How many would like to see 200 gangbangers come to Christ? How many would like to see 200 racists come to Christ? How many would like to see 200 out of the homosexual LGBT community come to Christ? How many would you like to serve them and love them 
to Christ. Let's all stand up and give it up for Jesus today. He gave us the example. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless us today. Altar workers, would you come, please, with the attitude of a servant. Lord, I laid my business out there today. I pray that everyone here will do the same. Come on, where are the places that you know would feel weird for you to go? Be honest. Come on, where have you had challenges reaching out and serving? Maybe God is challenging you in those ways to go beyond your comfort zone. Ask the Lord to use you. Maybe you're here today and you're not even a servant of God yet. This hasn't applied to you yet because you haven't repented of your sins. Do that even right now. Say, Lord, forgive me, change me. Maybe you've been racist. Maybe you've been the one causing problems or sinning. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Open up my blinded eyes so I can see. But for the rest of us, come on, those of us who can see, what are you going to do now in this world? What are you going to do to help others? We're going to dismiss in just a moment. And as we do, those who want prayer for anything today that we've talked about, please come forward. But I hope this church becomes a church of servants, serving each other, loving each other, not looking down on one another. And then when we go out into our jobs, we serve this community and we become great. It's not that we push aside greatness and say, I'm just going to be everybody's doormat. No, we are going to be great, but great servants. Father, make us great servants like your son, Jesus. Oh, who was the greatest servant? Who didn't have to come, but he did. Who was rich, but became poor. Who didn't have to die, but was flogged, beaten, and crucified. Make us like Jesus today, Father who did not turn his back on us. Help us to love even our enemies, to forgive them, and to love them to change. In Jesus' name, in his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord one more time? God bless you, first service.